Hey, we're continuing our series on the Apostles' Creed. Uh, we, if you're new out the last couple of weeks, we have a fall growth focus that we've started in the beginning of October. Uh, and again, we're looking through the Apostles' Creed and in our growth groups, we're all growing through together, looking at uh, this book from uh, our founding pastor, Pastor Walt, uh, called Living the Apostles' Creed. And so we've been digging in behind the scenes uh, and then each uh, Sunday uh, just working through some of the different topics here. You know, there's 12 articles that are listed out in the uh, Apostles' Creed, and we're just kind of working through them. Uh, and then, uh, boy, I tell you what, each one is just could be a, a year of sermons uh, in and of themselves. It's so rich. There's such depth. I know for my growth group last Monday, uh, man, uh, we, we blasted through an hour of conversation. Man, it just went like that, you know. Uh, so um, if you're not in a growth group or if you haven't picked up the book, they are still available. And and uh, it could serve as a really nice supplement, again, as a, as a growth-focused season for us. So, uh, so I had mentioned that there's 12 articles uh, that are laid out. The first one talks about uh, God the Father. Uh, then uh, two through seven talk about Jesus Christ. So in our first week, Pastor James kicked us off. He gave us introduction, uh, talked about God the Father. And then the last two weeks, we've heard from Pastor Nate and Pastor Ralph. Now last week, Pastor Ralph uh, got to the, uh, the portion of the Apostles' Creed that is conceived of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. And he kind of, uh, you know, kind of said, hey, it's, it's like we're having Christmas here, talking about the nativity. A lot of the, a lot of the part of the gospel that we, we discuss at Christmas time. So this week, I'm moving into resurrection season here. So, you know, the, as the world would call it Christmas and Easter. But Pastor Ralph hit it on the head. He said, it's Christmas and it's resurrection season every day for us as believers, right? Amen? Amen? But, uh, you know, why would we take time in, in a service to go through the Word of God in the context of this creed? Well, again, uh, some really great introduction was given to us over the last couple of weeks. But I just want to uh, talk for, for a minute before we get into today's article that we look at uh, about the idea of doctrine and how important doctrine is in the Word of God. Uh, it says in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 to 3, it says, In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to, to say what their itching ears want to hear. So this word doctrine, it's really a, a synonym for the word belief. And we know, you, you know, we've got the uh, Apostles' Creed bracelets that we got, I believe. That's how it starts. I believe in God the Father, right? So doctrine, belief, those words are synonyms. The word creed comes from the Latin word credo, which again literally means believe. So uh, a creed is simply a statement of what we believe, or as I just mentioned, and, and as we see it worded in, doc in, in the Bible, it's our doctrine. And so creeds are designed to do several things. And, and that's one of the things that I think is so great out of uh, the, the opportunity that we have in this series, living in an America that has drifted from its Judeo-Christian roots and foundations. You know, uh, creeds are designed to define our faith. 
you know, we, we have clarity. We are to know what we believe and why we believe it. Uh, then also creeds are designed to not only define our faith, but defend the faithful. To, to give a defense. Doesn't it tell us in Scripture, always be ready to give a defense, a reason for the hope that we have, of course, in Christ Jesus. And then the third thing, so creeds are designed to define our faith, to defend the faithful, and to declare to the world the faith that we believe. It's to present to the world, here is what the faith is. It's, it's not supposed to be a muddy message. Uh, it's to be a clear message. And so the Apostles' Creed winds up being just a, you know, statement that just take just huge amounts of scripture uh, and put it down into foundational statements for us to not let go of. So uh, we're going to look this week, uh, again, Pastor Ralph kind of started us last week, uh, you, you know, a belie believe in Jesus, conceived of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. Then we're going to move now this week into that he suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. And again, really, this week is a part one of a part two because we never share that without saying, and on the third day, he rose again. Hallelujah, right? You know, there's, there's two parts to this, you know, as we look at it. But we want to, there's some important things that we really, really want to grab hold of, hold of here this morning. So, you know, we're talking about what we believe. We're talking about truths. You know, another, another word for truth is certainty. And so, uh, as, as you'll see if you're following along in your notes, I want to uh, lay out for us a couple of creed certainties that we can hold on to, that we can certainly uh, live in light of. Now, just one other thought to prep us on the front end, because again, Pastor Walt, uh, th this book wasn't just to merely help us understand doctrine, although he knocks that out of the park doing that, but he called it living the Apostles' Creed. So it's all about, so what meaneth this when it comes to my life, to my living? So we're really going to go deep on, uh, not deep, I should say, we're going to keep hammering away on the idea of how do I live it? How do I live it? How do I live it? And you know, part of this idea of living something with a whole new intensity is to move from, for, for something to move from true to real. Right? You know, I know that to be true to, wow, this is real for me. You know, when I was a youth pastor, a new youth pastor up in North Jersey, thoroughly acquainted with my Bible, and I had heard lots of testimonies. I knew that the demonic activity in the world was real. I knew that Jesus' name, uh, it, it, you know, was above every name. Uh, it, you know, so I knew what the Word said. I knew what testimony was from different preachers. But there was a day where uh, somebody had come in that was demonically oppressed and they needed to go free. They came in for, for counseling and several uh, of us pastors were asked to come in and to be a part of this prayer time. And so that, that doctrine of, yep, the devil's out there and spiritual warfare is, 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 uh, is biblical, it was true for me. That day it became real. Because that... that thing that was oppressing that person looked at me, I'd never seen them before. And that thing began to speak about family members, knew who my family members were, and began to threaten my family. Went from true to real, right? The, the, the demons in hell know it's true that Jesus is the Christ, 
but it sure doesn't mean that they're Christians, right? We know that that's not, it's when, when something is true, we, we got to start there. But then when it moves into real, man, it changes everything. So as we talk here about Jesus' suffering, his death, burial, uh, and then of course next week we'll get to resurrection, we want to be constantly asking ourselves, Lord, not, not has this ever been real to me? Is it real to me now? You know, because when we live, when it's real to me now, I'm living in a place of fellowship with the Lord. You know, and that's what he's called us to not live in a yesterday relationship with him, but a today relationship. And then tomorrow, it's a today relationship, moving forward and moving forward. Come on, can you say amen? amen. All right, so some of these creed certainties that are laid out for us. The first one, uh, just, just a starting point, the world can't dispute that there is a real historical Jesus who lived and died. You know, there was a time where, where you, you know, as the world would try to debate, you know, was he just a legend, this, that, and the next thing. Well, it is historically documented. There's, a, there's an ancient historian, Josephus. There's another one, uh, Tacitus, who uh, documented. Uh, and we know that during the, um, during the reign of Pontius Pilate, uh, there was a Jesus of Nazareth who walked the earth and who was sentenced and punished and put to death uh, during the reign of this Roman governor. So uh, the world can't dispute it. Of course, we know, we read about it in Luke uh, chapter 3. I'll just look at verse 1. It says, in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, and it goes on and talks about some others there. But bottom line is, it's, the word is telling us during this time where Pontius Pilate is governor, then we go, you know, it's talking about the birth of Jesus and Jesus coming on the scene. And then later on, when Jesus has now grown up and he's, uh, you, you know, been walking out his earthly ministry and now he's in the season of he's on trial before the cross we can look in John 18 28 then the Jewish leaders took Jesus from Caiaphas to the palace of the Ro Roman governor by now it was early morning and to avoid ceremonial uncleanness they did not enter the palace because they wanted to be able to eat the Passover so Pilate came out to them and asked, what charges do you bring against this man? And we go and we read through further, uh, Pilate has this conversation with Jesus, you know, so are you a king? And Jesus says, now, did that come from you or from some, something somebody else said? You know, and he just has this really cool Jesus conversation with him, you know, here on trial while all this is going on and Jesus speaks about the truth and, and Pilate has, hey, he's got a mindset that is the mindset of this age today. What is truth? And he's standing and he's facing truth, the one who is the truth, right? But there's, there's, we can't dispute historically inside and outside the Bible, Jesus lived and, and, and died. Creed certainty number two, the meaning of his death is what challenges and confronts the world. What does his death mean? Now, we know what it means for us, and we'll get to that in a minute, but it talks about this in 1 Corinthians 1.23. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. 
basically, you know, from God's perspective, Jews, Gentiles, there's, there's those called, you know, uh, to, to be the representatives of God and, you know, working through the old covenant. And, of course, that's going to circle back. And then, then uh, we are grafted in as, as, as believers. Uh, but as far as those who are, are not, uh, not saved, right, Jews and Gentiles, that, that's what God, you know, uses as terminology to define the people in the world, stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. Now, the Jews had, uh, you know, uh, were, Scripture was so central to life, studying Scripture, living it, knowing it, and so forth. Uh, there are over 300 prophecies concerning the career uh, and life of the Messiah that are all fulfilled in Jesus Christ. It's, it's amazing. It is one of the most amazing proofs that God gives of who Jesus is, of the, of the divineness of Scripture, and it's it just, just so awesome there. But at that time, they didn't have an understanding that they knew Messiah would come. It goes all the way back to Genesis 3.15, in the fall in the garden. There's one coming devil. He's going to crush your head. You're going to bruise his heel. Right, all the way back. So they're, they're waiting for Messiah to come, and then the prophets would, would reveal all of these different little prophetic tidbits, little nuggets about what, what, what he's going to be like. And, and they reveal two things, this suffering servant and this triumphant reigning king. Now, how many know that when it, just our humanity, when we're presented with both of those, which one do we want to lean into, the suffering or the triumphant king, Right? And that's what they're all waiting for, especially during this time where Rome, you know, is so uh, oppressive, you, you know, uh, just for everyday life. And so this is a stumbling block because they didn't realize suffering servant, triumphant king, God, that was a mystery that God hid uh, until the, the coming of Jesus that there would be two comings. There would be the, the lamb and then he would come back as the lion. And so there's all these things that they're stumbled over related to Jesus Christ. But then for the Gentiles, just this whole idea of, you you know, lose your life to save it. You you know, uh, a king who would surrender his life, you know, as a ransom. All this picture, it's foolishness to 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 the rest of the world. And the Bible tells us there is a way that seems right to people. But in the end, it just leads to death right? Uh, it, it's, it's a staggering picture. Uh, the fool, the Bible tells us, the fool says in their heart, there is no God, right? So we've got this picture of, of, of his death, you, you know, a stumbling block, foolishness to the world. But in 1 Corinthians 1.18, what is the death of Jesus, the suffering, death, crucifixion, death, burial of Jesus? The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Glory to God. The power of God. Creed certainty number three, his suffering and death on the cross was his life mission. That was why he came. He came to die. And again, that, this picture of the suffering servant in the Old Testament in Isaiah 53. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our guilt and iniquities. The chastisement needful to obtain peace and well-being for us was upon him. And with the stripes that wounded him, we are healed and made whole. Come on, come on. True or real? True or real? 
oh man, by his stripes, I have been made whole. Lord, may it be more real to us today than ever before. May we not grow cold in embracing and walking and living. I, I, heard, I heard much of the, the words that were given at the end of worship, leaning into not being moved by what we see and, and, and the stuff going on in this world. It's not what it's all about. You know, it's about what God says. Can you say amen? It's about what God says, right? So we're not moved by what we see. So, so he came to die. 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So we have become, let's just, just hold it for a second there and try to get our hearts and our minds around that. He, he who was no sin became sin for us. Not so that we could be okay, but that we could become the righteousness of God Almighty. What does that even look like? Oh my goodness. To spend our lives walking that out and stepping into that. So because of his blood, these, these are listed out again, uh, a part of our study as we get into in our groups, because of the blood of Jesus, we've been redeemed. That means that we have been bought back, right? What we couldn't do for ourselves, we were doomed to be separated from God because we can't be holy enough and righteous enough for the righteous, holy, perfect God. But because he is love and grace and mercy, he sent his son for us and we've been redeemed. And we've been forgiven. And it's not the forgiven, I'll forgive, but I'll never forget. You know, how many have ever experienced that in this world? I'll forgive just barely, but don't worry, I'll remind you about my forgiveness often, right? <laughs> no, he says he casts our sins into the sea of forgetfulness. He chooses not to remember what we've been forgiven of. And then we've been cleansed of debt. You know, those commercials that go on TV about, hey, do you have a lot of debt? You know, they make it sound like they're cleansing you from debt. You're just moving it over to them and making the payments to them, right? You, you know, it's amazing how that's packaged. But guess what? It, it is what it says here. We have been cleared of a debt and a debt that we couldn't pay. And our sins have been removed. We've been set right. Hallelujah. We've been set right. We've been sanctified. We've been cleaned for new use. Whatever our use was in our sinfulness, God says, nope, I've got a different plan. A different plan to glorify myself through you. Uh, I love this one. We are trophies of his grace. It would do us so good over the next couple of weeks to greet each other. Hello, trophy of God's grace. Oh, hello. Back to you, trophy of God's grace. But, but do you see, see how valuable it is for us to ask ourselves the question, now is that true or is that real to me? Does, do I recognize that God wants to make my life a trophy of his grace? When we recognize that, the enemy will never torment us with our past again. Because our past in the enemy's hands is guilt, shame, and condemnation. But when we've come to Jesus and he forgives us and redeems us and cancels our debt, now our past becomes a trophy of his grace. And now the enemy can't touch, right? Amen. Amen. Glory to God. 
And then, and then the last one here we'll look at is because of the blood of Jesus, we are now overcomers. We are now overcomers. Well, well gee, Jim, what do you mean overcomers of what? <laughs> Everything. <laughs> Everything. Because of who he is, because of what he has done, he has made us overcomers. All right, creed certainty number four, his death on the cross is also a finished work for us. All right, when Jesus had said, it is finished. And again, in, in the book here, Pastor Walt lays out, I uh, actually lays out nine things that the death of Christ ended for us. I just want to look at three of those here this morning, uh, just for us to chew on in light of, am I living this? Am I living this? Am I living this? Is it real? Is it real? Is it real? Number one, his death ended separation from God. Now, now once you came to Christ... Have you ever had a moment where you have felt all alone in the world? I know I have. I know I've had moments where I have felt all alone. But see, he is telling us that because of what Jesus did on the cross, it ended separation from God. And when we have made Jesus Christ Lord and Savior of our life, uh, God's Holy Spirit literally comes to indwell us. And we are never, ever, ever alone again. And nothing can snatch us out of his hands. We are his. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 18. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. And then we're going to talk about this in a minute. But he reconciled us and then gave us a ministry of reconciliation. Second thing we'll look at that his death ended. It ended sin's dominion over us. Romans 6, 14, for sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, you're not under law, but under grace. Sin no longer reigns over you and I. It no longer reigns. It can't, it can't exert itself over you unless you buy into the lie of the enemy and he sneaks and steals his way in. Come on, can you say Amen. Sin no longer has dominion over us. And so I just want to challenge and encourage your heart this morning. You, you know, uh, if, if there's areas where the enemy has said, you'll never get over that, you'll never get past that, that's just the way you are, that's the way grandpa was, Grand, uh, you know, that's the way your parents were, that's the way you'll be. Nope. If it's something that's sin, sin's power has been broken over us. No longer reigning, having kingship, having lordship, it's been broken. And we'll talk in just a minute, well, how do we enforce that? How do we, how do we live out these things? We'll talk about that in just a minute. But let's look at the third thing. His death ended Satan's lordship over mankind. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And, and all we got to do is turn on the news and the news will say, oh, oh, yeah, devil's alive and well out there. You know, the word tells us he who sits in the heavens laughs when he sees the enemy trying to. And, and doesn't the enemy always overplay his hand? Yes. So when we see all of this mess going on, let's remember God tells us how it ends. And it ends where the King of kings and the Lord of lords makes all things right. You know, it, there, there might be stuff that looks, you know, kind of, you know, wonky and, and crazy and, and like it's denying the word of God. But that's where we say, I'm not moved by what I see. You know, I'm going to walk in what you say about reality. Let's look at this in Colossians. There's so much in this, but it really encapsulates chapter 2, 
uh, starting with verse 11. In him you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands. So, of course, this is talking about covenant relationship with him, right? That was how uh, in the Old Testament covenant was established. By putting off the body of sins of the flesh... Uh, by the circumcision of Christ. That's the new covenant that we have. Buried with him in baptism, in which you were raised with him through faith in the working of God. See, it's by faith. Amen? We believe, we believe. Uh, Who raised him from the dead. And you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us. In other words, all those things that we couldn't fulfill and perform, which were contrary to us. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross, having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. He reigns. He reigns. He broke. Man, back in the garden when he said to the enemy, you're going to bruise his heel, but he's going to crush your head. What he's saying is he's going to break your headship. You know, that this, this just got turned over to you legally, but one is coming who's taken it back. And so Christ has taken it back, and we as his body are now to go and force, preach the gospel, and, uh, and bring the world into God's covenant. All right. Amen. So all of this, how do we walk all this out? How does this all happen? Well, it happens, as, as, as we just said a minute ago, by faith. By faith. So, you know, you know we looked at uh, we're no longer separated from God. We looked at sin no longer has dominion over us. We looked at the enemy no longer has legal rule over the world that's been broken in Christ. How do we enforce that in our lives? We do by faith. You know, God calls us then, as, as we make Christ Lord of our lives, he calls us, all right, first thing we do, making Jesus Lord, we put on that helmet of salvation. But too many in the body of Christ step onto that battlefield, step down the road of life, and the only armor they have as defense against the rockets and the darts and the lies and all the, all the stuff the enemy sends is that helmet of salvation. And God says, no, I gave you more than that. I gave you a a belt of truth that's going to hold all your armor together. I gave you a breastplate of righteousness that's going to protect your vital organs, right? It's going to keep you uh, the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And then as we are people of the word, our our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, right? And then we're going to have a shield of faith with which we can quench. I love the Bible is very specific. Not just some, but all of the fiery darts of the wicked one. Amen. And then we're to take that sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Defense, offense, right? To to defend from what the enemy would try to do and to take back whatever it is that the enemy has tried to grab. And we do this by faith. It's I'm not moved by what I see. I'm not moved by what I feel. Does that sound familiar? I know I've said that a time or two in the past, right? That that's the, it's, it's a faith walk and it's a faith fight. You know, so we are to live in a place, that's why I said earlier, for the person who's saying, man, it just feels like God's a million miles away. No, he told you he's near, he's living in your heart. We have to trust him by faith. Yeah, but I don't feel it. Okay, the faith walk is, so I'm just not going to be moved by what I do or don't feel. Amen. Amen. You know, a quick testimony. Uh, when I first got saved and I began reading the Bible, uh, I, I misunderstood some scriptures. And, uh, and there were certain things that even though I, I asked Christ to be Lord of my life, there were certain things that I read that I was terrified of. 
you know, and then I would read scripture. How many know the enemy will come in and he'll whisper and he'll twist scripture? And I was reading, you know, certain things and, you know, the enemy would either say, well, that, that doesn't apply to you, you know, or, or uh, you know, oh, you think you know him, but you really don't, you know. And, and, and when true becomes real and you know there's a heaven to gain and a hell to shun, when you know Jesus is who he said he is and he's the center point of everything for now and eternity, man, that stuff scared me. But then I started getting some teaching in the Word of God, what it says about fear. I started looking at some of the promises, that they're yes and amen in Christ Jesus. I started realizing to, to recognize the voice of the enemy, but I would still battle back and forth with fear. And actually fear would so debilitate me that I actually, I had to stop thinking about God's stuff in order to get peace. That, that's how much the enemy was messing with me. And I remember I was out Midwest at a church service uh, one Sunday night, and, uh, and, and I, I just remember thinking to myself, I am so fed up with this roller coaster and this back and forth, and, and, and the guy preached on fear. You know, and all of a sudden he used all these scriptures, you know, and I, and I, I made this decision. Here, here's what I'm getting at, going back to walking by faith. I made the decision, I am no longer going to go in and out, up and down with the Lord. I don't care what the enemy whispers in my ear. I am going to act like God's word is true no matter what I feel. I remember saying to God, if my knees are shaking with fear, I will trust you and I will walk with you. And as I made that surrender, as I lifted my hands, I remember, standing in the back just being so desperate but so serious I crossed the line and instantaneously that fear was removed from my life it was gone hallelujah and the enemy didn't come you know then he goes and he tries to look for other places to try to come in and mess right you know so we we got to make that choice even if it's just if everything around me is screaming something different I'm going to trust what God says and I'm going to walk by faith Amen? All right, let's wrap up here on some, some uh, specific thoughts on living the Apostles' Creed. Matthew 16, 24 and 25. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. And whoever loses their life for me will find it. So how do we live in light of this, this great statement from the word of God that Jesus suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried? We are called to take up our cross as well, which is to say no to self, to say no to self-government, to say no to sin, and make a decision, Lord, I will follow your way. You, you know, I heard a preacher say one time, we're to live in the shadow of the cross. We're to live in the shadow of the cross. We don't want it to be something that we kind of hear and know and then just move on from. And then, you know, living it is being in this place. What, what is living in the shadow of the cross? It's a recognition of the price that was paid for what we have. So it, it flourishes our love, tenderizes our heart. It... it, it, it puts us in a posture of humility and reverence, doesn't it? Right? When we, when we survey the wondrous cross, you, you know, when we look at the cross, you know, and, and then in that, we not only recognize that great price that was paid, but then we have a fresh recognition of all that he has purchased for us. And so what pours out of that, isn't it love and joy and gratitude and peace? 
because we know in that work, he's done everything for us that we could ever need in this life and in the age to come. Then out of that, right, is going to flow as we, as we catch his heart, a heart for his commission. Because he came to die so that we might live. And then we grab that commission to share that with the world. He came to die so that the world might live. Romans 1.16 says, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. Hallelujah. So again, we're in an era where uh, political correctness has become an oppressive, tyrannical philosophy that would seek to intimidate and paralyze the church. That the key thing would be, don't you dare say that somebody's path might not be the right path. Well, I've made a decision, and I know you've made a decision too, that at the end of the day, I'm not going to be preoccupied with what's politically correct. I'm going to be preoccupied with what the Lord has said. And Jesus said, he is the way and the truth and the life, and that no one comes to the Father but by him. And so, so the body of Christ, the enemy, would, would want to take captive, you know, in, in light of these, these philosophies of our age, these, these earthly philosophies. And yet, Jesus is the rescue. Jesus is the answer to all of, of, of humanity's cries and ills and, and pains. So there's one way to heaven. So, so in that, living the Apostles' Creed, how do we live the Apostles' Creed to be a part of the great commission of Jesus Christ, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Well, I, I want to give us all just little bite-sized steps that we could take to say, hey, in a greater way, I am now helping fulfill the, let's just not call it the great commission, the greatest commission of all time. How can we help fulfill it? Well, if we're not doing so yet, first thing we can do, let's start praying for those who don't know Christ. We, we pray for them. We ask God to move and work in their life. We ask, you know, for them to uh, have laborers to come across their path, right? We pray for people who don't know Christ to meet him and make him Lord and Savior. Then uh, second thing we can do, we can invite people to come to church and hear uh, the gospel message, uh, whether it's a Sunday morning or, hey, it's one of the reasons that we're having uh, Veterans Day uh, celebration is there, there, we know there's some folks that uh, they won't necessarily come to service, but they might come to a lunch. And, and get to know, hey, these, these people are, you know, nice people. I think I'll come back for a service. It's why we open the campus up for some of the things that we do to serve the community so that people will come. So, so just inviting somebody to church is participating in the Great Commission. How about this? How about sharing your testimony? You know, that means uh, spending a little bit of time just stopping and, you know, saying, okay, do, it, do I, am I able to communicate out of my mouth? Just what, what does Jesus mean to me? When, when did he move into my heart? When did I make him Lord and Savior? What's it meant for my life? Now, some of us that like to talk, this could be like the Lord of the Rings trilogy extended edition, <laughs> Right? We don't want to give a nine-hour testimony, right? We got to remember in the other person's shoes, they didn't sign up to hear my whole biography, right? But, but the power of a testimony is just, just share. This is why, oh, you go to that church? Why do you go to church? Because this is what Jesus did for me. You know, and it's a seed that's sown. And what's another step that we could take? Get familiar and, and, and comfortable sharing the gospel, 
Right? For oftentimes it can be for us where, you know, somebody says, I mean, literally we read in the word of God where people walked up and said, what must we do to be saved? Hey, how would we react if somebody walked up to us and said, hey, what must I do to be saved? You know, if, if, if we haven't, you know, done the work, you know, devotionally and, and working it through, you might be like, well, it's, you know, because Jesus and, uh, you know, so he died and, and, and for sins and, you know, and it's awesome and he rose from the dead and it's just, and I'm going to heaven. You know, and, and we, we haven't helped them any further down the road because we haven't taken time. We understand it, we believe it, but it's another thing to be able to share it and open up our mouth and communicate it back. Come on, can you say amen? It's one of the greatest, uh, you know, things that we could take the time to do in being a part of the Great Commission advancing. Uh, so praying for the lost, inviting people to church, to a growth group, to, to one of our events, sharing our testimony, uh, sharing our faith. And, and then, of course, you know, some of these things where we, we study the defending of our faith, you know, apologetics, you know, where people try to use uh, sciencey things. You know, isn't it interesting? The, and you can see this in, in when you look at church history as a whole, there's patterns and there's cycles that go on. How, how many know that to be true? We're seeing things that are just starting to happen in America. You watch, we're going to be able to more and more relate to the early church in the Roman Empire. Because what was going on inside the Roman Empire and it was just falling all apart and rotten and sinful and all this stuff, it's exactly what in the natural we're seeing happen here in America. So, so as believers, there's things that we, we can relate to. But certainly as we go, uh, we'll see different patterns as we go through the ages. And when there is greater skepticism, God always increases the evidence. I mean, you go back, it says in Romans, you, you know, again, the fool has said in his heart there is no God because the, all of creation testifies. All of creation screams at us, there is a God. It takes more faith, and when I say faith, skepticism, doubt, unbelief, to undo the awareness, you know. And so as, as the, the, the era has become more scientific and people have had try, they've tried to double down more on science, all it does is open up and sure, show more detail, more evidence of design, more, I heard somebody call it gratuitous beauty. You know, have you seen, you know, like we, we hear about movies that have gratuitous violence and things like that. God is so awesome in his splendor that he has created gratuitous beauty in all of his creation. You realize there's things that we're seeing in this generation because of the telescopes that are going out and, the, and we're seeing these photos. Have you ever looked at those photos and just gone like, oh, that's beautiful. And, and we, little old we, here on planet Earth, I, I saw a picture one time of the Milky Way galaxy and, 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 some, and it said like, relax, you are here. And it was this like little dot in this like big, huge, epic cosmos, you know. And I thought, yet on the same side, God made us in his image and he cares about us. But he's such a beautiful God, such an amazing God that he has created beauty. There's things that we see under the microscope where we go, oh, that is beautiful. You know, the symmetry, the complexity, all of these things. So you know what? The world is never going to be able to explain God away. Simple reason, because God is real. Amen. So we can rest in that. And so as we wrap this up here this morning, these, these clo closing uh, thoughts for us, all, all of that last little piece was talking about uh, apologetics, where we disarm the arguments that make people heckle 
and not willing to open their hearts and give the gospel a chance, give it a, a fair here, you know? So as we wrap up here today, living in the shadow of the cross, you, you know, I want to invite us to leave this place this morning with a greater intentionality than ever before to survey the wondrous cross. Uh, th that's, that's one of my favorite hymns. I, I think I tell you a different one is my favorite hymn every time I mention a different one. So I guess I should say, but this is definitely in the top handful, the wondrous cross. And we're going we're to pray just, but I just pause on this for a second. The, the, the psalmist or the, the, the writer of this hymn got it. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but loss and pour contempt on all of my pride. Forbid it, Lord, that I should boast, save in the death of Christ my God. All the vain things that charm me most, I sacrifice them to his blood. See from his head, his hands, his feet, sorrow and love flow mingled down. Did ever such love and sorrow meet, or thorns compose so rich a crown? And just goes on to sing, oh, the wonderful cross. There's that modern version of it, you know, bids me to come and die and find that I may truly live. You know, as we look at this, this living, this aspect of the Apostles' Creed, you know, we take up that cross every day and we live a life of faith because as we die to all that self and flesh nature and, and self-government, we find that we live a life that we could only dream of, a life in faith, a life in relationship with him. And although it's a life that sometimes has is, is got the battles and the, the suffering as we push through to say no to the flesh and no to the enemy, if we say, I will walk by what he says and not by what I experience, we will, we will walk in all of the blessing that he desired for us. Can you say amen? Can we just give him praise this morning? God, we love you so much. We love you so much, Lord. We praise you, Lord. Bless you, Lord. God, we love you. Father, as we close this service today, we're so grateful for your great love for us. If there's anybody here this morning that you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, maybe you're watching, maybe you're listening on podcasts, maybe you're here in the room, you know, all of this starts as we begin by saying, I believe, Jesus, you are who you said you are, the Son of God. You died on the cross and you rose from the dead for my sin, for the sin of the world. And, and now, Jesus, I confess you as my Lord and my Savior, and I repent of my sin, and I turn away from my sin. Be my Lord and Savior. If there's anybody that hasn't done that yet here, I'm going to close in just a minute. I invite you to come forward, meet me at this altar. Let's pray a prayer of salvation. Let's pray a prayer where you take this work that Jesus did and make it yours. And, and what we said earlier about, uh, you know, not being alone, you'll never be alone again because you'll be carrying the Lord in your heart. You'll be a brand new creature in Christ Jesus. So, Father, I just pray for anybody who doesn't yet know you that they would take that step here this morning and respond to your love. 
Lord, as we would leave this place, Lord, that we would live in light, live in the shadow of what you've done for us on the cross. All that your blood has done, all that your death has ended. Lord, wherever we need it in our lives today, move us from, oh, that's true, to, wow, that's real for me. And so, God, we commit ourselves into your hands. All this is in Jesus' name. Amen.